It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall, Jamie Dew. Hey, thanks so much, Doug Donats. It's great to be here with you all. We've got a great show for you, so wipe those feet and get inside because this is the SNL Hall of Fame podcast, a weekly affair where each week we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener, to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. My name is Jamie Dew. I am thrilled to be here with you. I hope you are doing well. Today we are going to focus on Seth Meyers in the SNL Hall of Fame, and we are going to talk about Seth Meyers in terms of his uh, what he brought to the table in terms of writing. He was a head writer on the show. He worked behind the Weekend Update desk, and I feel that when he got behind the Weekend Update desk, he really found his footing in the show, whereas for the seasons prior to that where he was a repertory player, he never really, he never really clicked for me. But behind the Weekend Update desk, this guy was a tour de force. And make no mistake, he has my vote. Now, you may be wondering, how do you get access to vote? Well... January 10th, we will open the voting, and you can only vote if you're registered to vote. So please make sure to do that anywhere you find a link for the SNL Hall of Fame. Once you do that, you will get a ballot in your email that you can complete. The instructions will be there, but if you have any questions about any of that particular information that you might need, feel free to send me an email, jamie at snlhof.com. I would love to hear from you. You can also let us know how you think we're doing. And if you listen to the show, maybe send us a review. That would be pretty great. So today in Matt's Minutia Minute, we are talking about Seth Meyers. Talk to me a little bit about Seth Meyers. What have you got for us? Yeah, I am actually super excited. He is one of my favorite writers. Uh, I, I love his body of work. Amazing guy. Funny. He is five foot eleven. born December 28th, 1973. Uh, his first episode was season 27, September 19th, 2001. So that uh, must have been a challenge for coming in as your first episode. But yeah, that was the year with Dratch, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Will Ferrell, Tina Fey, Anna Gassner. Uh So it was a, a, a great year. He was also starting with Amy Poehler, who he auditioned with, Maya Rudolph, Horatio Sands, and Dean Edwards, and Jeff Richard. His last season, uh, February 1st, 2014, uh, was again the modern golden era cast with like A.D. Bryant, Kate McKinnon, Bobby Moynihan. So terrific cast there. He's done 13 seasons. He hosted October 13, 2018. Until 2021, he was actually the longest running host uh, of the Weekend Update desk. He beat out Tina 
But in 2021, Colin squeaked by him. He actually auditioned to do the, the, the desk in 2004, but lost out to Amy Poehler before they teamed up in, 20, in 2006. He's currently the third longest running cast member after Daryl Hammond and, of course, Keenan Thompson. He did a cameo on the late night weekend sum update summer edition and is is just his game for silly things like it, it the, the last episode of stefan on the de- the weekend update desk where basically stefan is like you've never respected me i'm getting married to somebody who treats me right and runs off and then you have him straight up graduate interrupting Stefan and Anderson Cooper's wedding where he punches Anderson Cooper out baby DJ baby bok choy uh, lets them get away. Uh, it is absolutely freaking insane. I need to rewatch but it. It is hilarious. It is genuinely hilarious. But I think something that really is illustrated in that sketch, there's a slightly hot mic as it's cutting away. Bill Hader says to him, you know, I, I really love you, man, as he's hugging him. And I think that speaks to the respect that Seth gives his writers and the performers that he works with. Because you'll also see that in things like on, on his current show, The Late Show, uh, where he's consistently elevating other voices like Michelle Wolf and Amber Ruffin and Jenny Hagel. Like Amber has her own show now. Like He gave up one of his nights to let her have her own show because she's so freaking funny. And honestly, it's, it's, it's one of the best late night shows on TV, Amber, Amber Ruffin's show. So, I mean, he's, he's respectful of the talent that he works with. He's been a lead writer. He started as story editor in 2004. He graduated up to being head writer. Um, and like from, from, from 2006 until when he left. And it's just, you know, some of the best comedy came out of that. The best weekend update desks uh, were during his period in my mind. And he's just an amazing, funny guy. He's brought comedy around the world. He was a member of the Chicago Improv Company in Amsterdam. Boom Chicago, which, you know, has people like Jordan Peele, Amber Ruffin, Ike Barinholtz, and his brother Josh, who are all members, doing improv American-style improv in Amsterdam, which I think also gives him some of his gameness because he's play he's played to audience who are just, audiences who are not familiar. He's he's been willing to do silly things, and I think amazing writer and funny guy. Yeah, I agree. Thanks so much, Matt. Let's throw it now to our friend Thomas and join his conversation with Sammy Kay, who is nominating Seth Meyers today in the hall. Thomas. Yes, Jamie, thank you so much. That's right. I am joined by Sammy Kay from the Saturday Night Network. He's one of the super fans that you've probably heard uh, on the Super Fan Takeover on the Saturday Night Network, Mr. Sammy Kay. So first time here on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. We are so happy to have Sammy uh, join us. Sammy, thank you so much. How are you doing today? Thomas, I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to be on the podcast uh, tonight. You know, I have 
only been on the Saturday Night Network as far as my podcasting career goes. So, you know, exploring new waters tonight, being able to talk about um, someone who I'm a huge fan of, who I've been watching ever since I started watching SNL, and that is um, Seth Meyers. So um, someone who I think is definitely worthy for the SNL Hall of Fame, and I'm excited to get into that. We always welcome people from other podcasts, SNL podcasts, podcast networks to join us. I think we're all one big happy family uh, here in the SNL community. So it's wonderful to have you. And yes, you're right. We're talking about Seth Meyers today and maybe in a different capacity than some people might expect right off the bat. We're talking about Seth Meyers as a writer and not a cast member. So a little bit of a different, maybe a shift of mindset uh, when it comes to the SNL Hall of Fame and taking a set look at Seth Meyers' SNL career uh, from a little different perspective than than what people might be used to. We'll get into some of his update stuff and and everything like that, but just to let it be known to the to the listener, we are talking about Seth Meyers and his candidacy as a writer on the show. But I do actually want to, because I think it, it makes sense to start talking uh, about his SNL career as a cast member. So I do want to start there. He was hired for the show uh, season 27 uh, back in 2001. He came in with Amy Poehler and some others. That was Will Ferrell's uh, last season on the show. So there was some overlap with some of the greats there. So Sammy... As a viewer, as a, a super fan of the show, how do you view Seth Meyers uh, as a cast member uh, on Saturday Night Live? So, you know, Seth Meyers has had a very interesting career on SNL. He, you know, has basically done everything. He was a cast member. He was a writer. He was a head writer. He was a weekend update anchor and he eventually hosted. So he's done pretty much everything you can do besides be a musical guest on the show. But obviously, he got his start as a cast member. And, you know, he was in a pretty strong crop of funny people. Like you said, um, it was Will Ferrell's last year. He joined with Amy Poehler. Down the line, you know, Fred Armisen joins Will Forte. And, you know, the story goes on. And in the episodes that I've gone back and watched during his time as a cast member, because when I started watching the show, he was already on update. He He's a solid sketch performer, but I don't think that's something that most people, when they think of SNL and, and Seth's career on the show, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. He had recurring sketches like The Needlers with Amy Poehler, and him and Amy had such a great rapport. And I think they had a, a, a very good relationship because they started on the show together and made it all the way on to Weekend Update um, together, you know, a couple years down the line. So he did a lot of great work with her in sketches. You know, he had a lot of spotlight during the 2004 presidential election where he played John Kerry. And, you know, John Kerry is not the easiest person to imitate. He certainly looks like him, but, um, you know, I, I think he does a, a solid job. So as far as a sketch performer goes, I don't think he would say that he is one of the greatest sketch comedians of all time to have graced Studio 8H. But that doesn't mean he isn't worthy for, you know, all the praise we're going to be giving him today. Yeah, when I've heard him talk about his time as a cast member, and he said when he joined the cast, as I mentioned, people like Will Ferrell, Rachel Dratch, Anna Gasteyer, Daryl Hammond, Tracy Morgan. I mean, there's like SNL royalty that he joined the cast with. And so Seth said that he knew that those cast members were better, but thought that that he would get to their level at some point with more reps. He said, you know, this is something that I have to learn. I might not be as good as Will Ferrell, but I'll be in that realm just with more experience. So then he said, <laughs> when Bill Hader, Sudeikis, Andy Samberg, 
Fred Armisen, Will Forte, that whole crop of of cast members joined. Seth was maybe he he said that he quote had a crisis of confidence <laughs> when he saw them perform. He thought that he wasn't as good of a sketch performer as they were, and he said that he's like deeply jealous of how good they are as as sketch performers. So, I mean, he he would be the first one to say that as a cast member, he's he's probably not SNL Hall of Fame worthy. I think that that's not a hot take. I mean, Seth Meyers as a cast member isn't a, a Hall of Fame worthy cast member. But I think just looking at his time there, you could start seeing seeds of of just clever humor and some sketches that he was in. I'm thinking about, you had mentioned the Needlers. So we've been thinking about having kids. <laughs> Nice pick on the wine, Sally. Yeah, well, maybe next time, Dan, don't honk the horn every 30 seconds while I'm in the store. All right, I'll go get another bottle. Ow! What? You stepped on my foot! Oh, then maybe we should call an ambulance, because that's what a noise a person makes when they break every bone in their foot. <laughs> You're embarrassing oh, yourself. Oh, I'm embarrassing myself? Yes! Can I talk to you in the kitchen, Absolutely. please? Absolutely! <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. They obviously hate each other. They've been like this since their wedding. They were like this when they were dating. We were there the night they met. It did not go well. Oh, my God. Jack, do something. They're going to break our dishes. Hey, okay. They're having sex. (laughs) And it was good performance, good rapport with, with he and Amy Poehler. I don't know if you remember the Michael Caine impression <laughs> yes. that he did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. So, well, yeah. How did you? How did you feel about him? Like uh, in as Michael Caine and his rapport with like Jude Law in that sketch. I mean, that's such a a, a fun little gem that you know you forget about, and then and then you find it on YouTube or you're researching for a podcast about Seth Meyers, and you're like, oh yeah, what sketches is he really known for? And that's one. That, um, you know, I, I watched in preparation for this. And he is actually, throughout his career on SNL and then on Late Night, he is a decent to good impressionist, I'd say. And I, and I think he, he goes about impressions knowing that he's not like a Bill Hader or, you know, a James Austin Johnson or anything like that. And he has a lot of fun with it, but he, he, he gets it just close enough. And I think in this Michael Caine sketch, he, he certainly gets it just enough. Hello. I'm Michael Caine. And I'm Peter O'Toole. And you're watching An Evening with Peter and Michael. Please enjoy a combined 200 years of acting excellence. This man has been in over 300 films. Hannah and Her Sisters. Yes. Ipcris File. Yes. Star Wars. No. Garfield. No. The Jigsaw Man. Yes. Sepedi's Marshals, The League of Their Own. Absolutely not. And the first season of NYPD Blue. David Caruso. And Michael Caine's like... That, that's a fun impression to do and, and not, not the hardest. I'm not going to do one today, but uh, <laughs> I, I've done Michael Caine in the past. And I think, and I think Seth, um, the performance is great. The rapport with Jude Law is a lot of fun. And, uh, what, it's such a bizarre concept for a sketch. Just the two of them. I, I forget they're at like a Taco Bell or a McDonald's or something like that doing a It's a Taco, a Taco Bell Pizza Hut kind of combo. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> restaurant. Obviously. Yeah. Peak, peak early 2000s fast food eatery. Exactly. Um, but uh, no, that that one's a lot of fun, and uh, surprised he never brought that one back when he hosted. He also did like Top of the Morning five times, another recurring sketch and recurring characters. So in his time here, you could see maybe he wasn't 
the best on-screen sketch performer, though he was good and serviceable. It was there was even one of the seasons, I believe it was season 30, where it almost seemed like the show they were lacking a star. So it almost seemed like they pushed him a little bit and maybe wanted him to kind of be front and center. Maybe it was his like audition to be mm-hmm. to take over for the Will Ferrell type. I don't know. <laughs> but there was that one season where he <laughs> Seth was in a lot, a lot of sketches. Yeah. And so in 2005, getting more into the to the writing aspect of his career, he was promoted to writing supervisor. So Lorne did see something when he was a cast member, uh, even though he was actually hired solely as a cast member and not at all like a writer or as a writer. And we, as we know on the show, cast members write a lot for themselves. So, so if you're hired just as a cast member... It's honestly, you're doing double duty as a cast member and a writer, but he wasn't hired with the writer title. So that's that's what I find interesting that as during his work as a cast member, Lorne spotted that he had these writing chops. And so Lorne approached him and said, you know, let's start getting you behind the scenes a little bit more. So 2005 promoted to, to writing supervisor and... By 2006, he became co-head writer with uh, with Tina Fey and Andrew Steele. Quite the big jump uh, from yeah. cast member to writing supervisor to co-head writer in the span of like two years. So I actually want to get into what the show was like around this time. We're talking seasons 31, 30, 31, headed into 32. So, so before Seth became head writer in season 32, leading up to that, where do you think that the show was in terms of quality and tone and everything like that leading into that season? Well, I think the show at that point was, it was kind of in between two big eras. You know, you're in between the Will Ferrell and the Molly Shannon era of the show. And obviously later on, when Seth becomes head writer, you have the Bill Haters and Jason Sudeikis's, and and that's not to say that there weren't there wasn't great talent on the show at the time. Um, you know, obviously Jimmy Fallon was on for a majority of that kind of run there in the early two thousands. Tina Fey and Amy were on Update once Jimmy leaves, but you know, as far as the the tone of the show, they had to deal with everything that was going on around that time. You know, politically, obviously. Specifically with Seth, I mean, I know Seth and Amy's first show was fall uh, 2001, which is when 9-11 happened. So everything with the Bush administration and losing Will Ferrell at the time and not having him for the Bush administration, you know, I, I think there there was a time where the show kind of lost its footing. And um, it's not really until Seth comes in to update and as a head writer that we really see kind of what people consider the second golden era of the show or, or one of the you know the golden eras of the show with with that cast and i think a big part of that is the fact that he was a head writer he's acts as a producer and, and was able to kind of take those talents and and, and utilize everybody in, in a really good way so you said that the, i think that was well stated that the show kind of lost its footing after they lost people like Will Ferrell on a gas dyer, Tracy Morgan. I think the show did lack a certain identity. And it was also, I don't know how old you were in 2004, 2005. I'm dating myself. I was in my early 20s back then. So I was well aware of pop culture. It was a really weird time in pop culture. Yeah. 
Yeah. Super weird. It was just a lot of disposable things were happening in pop culture. It was a time, even in comedy, where uh, a lot of the like edgelord type of humor was really popular around 2004. A lot of mean-spirited kind of humor with, with without a punchline. Uh, it was mean-spirited, but without a yeah. punchline. It was just, it's hard to place, but just I felt at the time that that was a very weird time in pop culture and in the world. It was like post 9-11, there was a war going on. It was yeah. just very bizarre time just in pop culture and in the world. So, I think SNL did not benefit from that. They, they The show almost followed suit in a lot of ways. And they were searching for cast members who could really grab the reins of the show. Absolutely. So, so season 32 is when Seth Meyers takes control as head writer at SNL. And one of the things about Seth that I've heard him say and what Lauren, something Lauren spotted and see if you could, if you agree with this and if you, if it came across to you as the viewer and Lauren said that Seth wrote really well for a lot of different voices. And I think that served him well as head writer, but knowing what knowing the cast around that time when Seth took over, I mean, how would how do you feel that that maybe the the overall writing with Seth's leadership? How do you think those cast members and those voices were written for and served starting in season two around that time or thirty two around that time? I think around that time there was a certain alchemy that kind of occurred, and I think the show was facing a lot of challenges with uh, i believe there was a big budget cut that happened around like 2005 2006 and that's what that's when people like chris parnell and um horatio sands were uh not renewed their contracts like racial draft and, and stuff like that so they had a, a bit of a smaller cast but that was timing is everything especially with a show like snl where you know people come and go and it just so happened that when you know a bunch of cast members left seth myers takes the reins and is able to take this cast with pretty much all relatively newcomers except for you know Daryl Hammond and utilize them in a really really strong way everybody it really felt like at that time everybody was hitting everyone was able to have a, a recurring character or a, a segment on update that let them showcase their specific talents and their voice and I think that's something that a lot of people have spoken about Seth at the time and something that Lauren saw in Seth is that he did a really good job at, as a head writer, the job is to take the the assets you have in front of them and kind of uh, use use what they gave to, to Lorne and the producers in their audition. I think there's a specific quote I had written down here. Certain people are going to write a certain way, and as the head writer, you try to point them to what the show could use a little bit more of, or how to make their stuff a little bit more show-friendly. I think that's something that Seth absolutely did with his cast. You know, At that time, people like Andy Samberg giving him that kind of spotlight for uh, the SNL Digital Shorts. You know, Who knows if that is something that could have come about without someone like Seth in the head writer's chair. You know, people like Chris and Wing and Bill Hader. And, you know, Lauren wants everyone to stay unique in the way that they were during their, their auditions. And I feel like Seth um, was really able to, to utilize that during his time as the head writer to make sure everyone's voice um, was representative of the type of comedy they were hired for. Yeah. So on that cast in season 32, we're talking about Fred Armisen. 
who I think he's a chameleon in a lot of ways. He could play it really weird, really straight, big characters. I think that was brought out in him. Will Forte, who's known for weird type of humor, which I love. Will Forte is one of my personal favorite cast members in the show's history. His humor was able to shine. You mentioned Bill Hader. Daryl Hammond was the vet. He brought the best out in Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph. Look at these names. Andy Samberg, Jason Sudeikis, Keenan Thompson, which is I find hilarious that he's still on the cast. Obviously, it was his fourth season. He so he had he had yeah. more tenure than <laughs> than maybe half the cast around that time in 2006. And Kristen right. Wiig. So just a just a who's who of cast members. And in some ways, maybe Seth was fortunate to have that kind of cast on the show when he was head writer. But I think it takes a lot of great leadership to bring stuff out in that, in that cast. So I do want to get into his time on weekend update as well, because I, I feel like that's, uh, it's a performing, performing role, but it's also a writing gig to me in a lot of ways. To me, Weekend Update is very much a writing gig. So I think when talking about Seth's candidacy in the SNL Hall of Fame as a writer, I think it's very appropriate to talk about Weekend Update. So in 2006, he started co-anchoring Weekend Update with, with Amy Poehler. So you, Sammy, what did you think of that pairing of Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers on Weekend Update? I mean, that pairing was great because you could really tell that these were two people who who had great admiration for each other and they're kind of comedic voices. And, you know, like I said before, you know, they came onto the show together. And I think being able to do update together was something that they both really appreciated. You could tell that I think Seth has said in the past that like Amy was somebody that he was his kind of best friend on the show who he loved working with the most. And I think that is something that certainly came out um, in their update era, which was so short in hindsight. You know, Amy Poehler kind of straddled two different update eras, two years of Tina Fey, two years of Seth, and that was it and made a big impact. And I think it's almost as much as I enjoyed, you know, Seth's entire tenure on behind the desk, it would have been nice to see them do that for a lot longer than two years because I thought they just had a, a really good kind of back and forth and and. The big thing that, you know, people will remember from their time on Update Together was really with Seth and Amy, which was a, a really notable cornerstone of not only that kind of update pairing, but I think of that era of the show. And what I found to be really interesting was he did that segment 19 times on the show. And I think they only did it five times while Amy Poehler was a cast member. So it was something that... Wow. And... And and what I think is even crazier that he only did it three times solo. So whether it was Amy coming in or doing it with Colin and Michael Che when he came to host or even uh, things I totally forgot about. He had Jerry Seinfeld come in for a really with Seth. He had Kevin Hart come in. Kermit the Frog came in. Really, Congress? Now cafeteria pizza qualifies as a vegetable? Cafeteria pizza pizza barely qualifies as a pizza. Mm, It has the same nutritional value as the tray it's served on. And if pizza is a vegetable now, what's broccoli? Penicillin? I mean, really? If pizza is a vegetable, what's a fruit salad? Twizzlers and a grape soda? Really? Really? But it all started with, um, obviously, you know, Seth and Amy. And I think 
That was such a great segment and uh, something that when I think about their time together, um, you know, I automatically think about that. I think that was a marriage of two similar personalities that that really worked. Sometimes you don't want to have two personalities that are too much alike, I think, in that setting, but, but it did work to me with Seth and Amy. And you mentioned the really segment and it was a bizarro point counterpoint in a way, like with point counterpoint with Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd, they were butting heads and, and uh, almost arguing or whatever in a way. But with really, I loved that Amy and Seth were teaming up. Arizona State University this week decided not to give an honorary degree to President Barack Obama, who gave the commencement address at their graduation ceremony, claiming that he hasn't accomplished enough. That brings us to a segment we like to call Really with Seth and Amy. Really, Arizona State. You didn't want to give an honorary degree to President Barack Obama. You do realize half the people you gave regular degrees to were wearing flip-flops and hiding flasks. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, you're a fine school. Princeton Review ranks you number 17 as a party school. As a school school, you're 121st. If that bums you out, may I suggest you go party? Really? And real Arizona State, you might be overvaluing the worth of your degrees. Your acceptance rate is 95%. You're slightly more selective than the Burger King Kids Club. Real. I mean, really? Real. What, were you worried that giving the degree to someone as underqualified as President Obama would tarnish the noble image of Sparky the Sun Devil? <laughs> So it was just them building off of one another's jokes and discontent and, and everything in that segment. So I just love that that instead of this sort of manufactured headbutting, which worked with Dan and Jane, you got Amy and Seth where they were a true partnership and just them kind of piling on this one topic uh, just completely, completely worked for me. I thought that was a wonderful pairing. In 2008, he started anchoring Update Solo and... Update solo can be tricky, I think. I mean, obviously, you're you're not doing half the jokes anymore, the, the entire update's in, in your vo- voice. So, how do you think Seth did uh, working solo on Update? I mean, Seth was great um, as a solo Update person. I mean, like I said before, like would have been nice to have a couple more years with Amy, but I think for someone who, for his first couple years as a cast member, you know, didn't really you know, wasn't able to make a huge mark or become that next Will Ferrell or whoever. On update, he was able to get 10 minutes every week to tell jokes and, and kind of share his perspective on, you know, the what's in the headlines. And as a solo update anchor, that what I'm about to say is probably even more important than if you were in a pair, um, you know, something that kind of lives or dies by your hosting could be, you know, your interaction with the characters that come through that um, through the, the side of the stage, you know, all, all the great Weekend Update characters that he interacts with. And uh, I, I thought the way that Seth interacted with characters was was really, really great. There's a, a specific uh, quote in the, in the uh, Live from New York book that comes to mind where they talk about, specifically, Seth made a conscious effort to not play his Weekend Update anchor as frustrated with characters. Um, he was quoted as saying, Someone said to me that when I was frustrated with the characters, they were also frustrated with the characters. So I made a decision to be always delighted with whoever came out on Weekend Update, Stefan included. So every time Kristen Wiig comes in or, you know, Bill Hader as Stefan or Bobby Moynihan as Drunk Uncle, Seth brought this demeanor that was 
not annoyed like a lot of different weekend update anchor crews had been in the past with the characters that would come in. He really wanted them to succeed. And I think that made for an even better comedic back and forth, making sure you, and I think there's another quote in the book that somebody goes, goes along the lines of an improv. You want the other person to win more. You want to, you want to support the people to make things even funnier. And I think you can say both on the update desk and as a head writer, Seth definitely did that. The update anchor, when the update character is on, is almost like a voice for the audience. The update anchor is almost speaking for the audience in their interaction with the character, because we can't interact with the characters, but the update anchor can. So I, I think that's real. Gosh, that's really interesting. I had never heard that quote or knew that that Seth had that approach with the update characters and really did see it with Stefan. Stefan, we asked you here tonight to tell us about some New York summer fun spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then you came out here. Mm-hmm. I just want to recap what happened because you yes. came out here and then you told us things that sound like uh, nightmares of a crystal meth addict. Accurate. That is accurate. But I have to say, Stefan, I know you honestly want people to have a good time, so I'm going to give you a pass. Yay, Stefan! Stefan! Even if Seth sort of seemed frustrated with Stefan throughout their interaction, I love how Seth, especially at the beginning, liked to end his his interactions with Stefan with just praising Stefan and, and, and mining whatever joy there was out of Stefan's uh, update piece, even though some of the whole bit was Seth having to steer Stefan back into a certain direction, kind of rein him in a little bit. But then you get that sweet ending where Seth's like, I like that you were here. We're going to have you back and uh, all <laughs> that. So that, that actually makes sense with seeing how he interacted with Stefan, that he would do that with other characters. Uh, with uh, Bobby Moynihan's Anthony Crispino uh, comes to mind. And now that I think about it, Seth would kind of gently nudge Anthony Crispino and correct him on his on his mistakes, but Seth was never really visibly too frustrated uh, with yeah. the update and, character. And, and Seth, and Seth, you know, he wasn't like making them the butt of the joke. You know, like I said, like he wanted them to succeed. And you know, because you were talking about Stefan, another quote came to mind from Bill Hader, and he said, um, you know, the first rule I learned in improv class was that you want to make the other person look good, and that's what Seth did better than anybody. Even when you had kind of a shitty update, he would make you look good. It's so easy to play it angry, but he would never get angry. He thought, I invited these people to Weekend Update for a reason. I want this to work out. So that's from Bill Hader. And that is, especially the Stefan relationship comes through, but with a lot of the characters that would come to his update, you know, I I think that's a, a running theme you would see. Yeah. And that's a nice glimpse into that, that creative almost genius mind uh of seth myers that kind of comedic genius like he he has his approach and he's not just winging it out there he has his comedic values i guess i I love that it really it totally shines through in his work on update Uh, so he was by himself until 2013 and that's when we see cecily strong join the update desk along with seth myers and you know I'm going to ask you your opinion, obviously, but rewatching these and doing research for this podcast, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed Cecily Strong as an update anchor and how well she worked with Seth Meyers. She was really good on update, and I think Seth brought a lot of that out in her 
at the beginning. I think Seth did a good job of making her feel comfortable. I think that was a really good pairing, and Cecily was a lot better than I think people even remember her being on Update. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I mean, even at the time, we all knew it was announced in the press that like this was not a pairing that was going to last forever. You know, he had she joins the cast um, or she joins the update desk. I think it's her second year on the show and joins the update desk during Seth's last year on the show where he leaves mid season to host late night with Seth Meyers. And, you know, it was a temporary pairing and Colin Jost ended up um, being paired with her for the second half of that season. But, you know, she, she is just lovely on the update desk. She's really funny. She, for someone who, joined like a whole basically 10 years after Seth joined the cast, Cecily joins the cast to be able to have that parent work being from almost two different, he's not 30 years older than her, but from two different comedy generations and to have that still work out, um, I think is like you said, kind of a testament to Seth's ability to make, find what works best for a certain cast member as a head writer and as a producer and kind of make it kind of click. Yeah, I think uh, their rapport was was instantly great. I think they made a connection right away. They would have fun little asides during uh, during their update segments where they would interact with each other. O.J. Simpson was allegedly caught stealing cookies from a Nevada prison cafeteria on Thursday. <laughs> That's sad. I feel so bad for him. You feel bad for O.J. Simpson? Yeah, he's been been through so much. Did you know his ex-wife was murdered? Yeah, I did know that. I mean, like, let the guy have a cookie, right? Oh, we should move on. You stay strong, Juice. No, don't say that. I think Seth did a really nice job of just shepherding Cecily through that process, because, I mean... She had to have been nervous. Everybody's nervous when they first go on the show and they go on update. Colin Jost, honestly, one of the best update people. Him, he and Shay, I really enjoy them. But Jost was very nervous <laughs> the first time he did update. He laughs at himself about it now. But Cecily, for she didn't show nerves too much, and I think that's because she had Seth Meyers sitting next to her helping her along and giving her that confidence. And that speaks a lot, I think, to uh, to Seth and the type of um, voice and the type of mentor that he must have been for a lot of cast members, especially toward the end of his SNL tenure. Going back a little bit to his writing, have you seen that the James Franco SNL documentary? Uh, yeah, that yes, behind I have. Scenes? Yeah, so I think that, that, that gives such a great glimpse into the behind the scenes process obviously it's a behind the scenes documentary but i think i was super impressed by seth and 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 what they showed of him throughout that documentary i mean what uh what did you take away um from watching that documentary as far as seth and how he worked with other people on the show well you know to be honest it's been a while since i've watched it but from what i remember and from other quotes that i've read in preparation for this it's cliche, but he has said, like, you know, I had an open door policy. Like, you know, you let it be known to the cast that your door is always open. And that is something that created, like, a really comfortable environment, it seemed like. You know, I, there, there were headlines a couple of years ago um, after Taryn Killam had left SNL where he specifically calls out Seth Meyers as the point in which him leaving changed the show. He said, you know, when Seth Meyers left the show, the dynamic changed quite a bit. 
He was the last person there who I witnessed really collaborate with Lorne as opposed to kind of do what Lorne says. Uh, and he literally said that SNL was a, la- <laughs> was a less happy place to work and it was more competitive when Seth was gone. So you can probably speak on more to specifics of the documentary, but I'm sure that came across there as well as being able to take this cast and figure out like what, how do we get them represented on the show and utilize their talents um, to the best as possible. He, some, something that also comes to mind with his career as a, as a head writer is his talk of kind of balancing his duties on weekend update and being a head writer. He basically said that he spent, you know, a lot less time on update than on other things than you would think. Like he would check in with the update writers on Friday to see, you know, kind of what kind of good shape they were in. But 80 to 85% of the work he did on the show was as a head writer, as acting as a producer. And that he said that being on update was basically like his reward that he was able to, you know, be in front of people for 10 minutes every week and, and tell jokes. And that was the reward he got for shepherding all these people and you know making sure the show turned out as good as it did during those years you had talked about what a giving performer he was on update as far as his interactions with with the update characters and the cast members in that capacity he was a very he seemed like a very giving boss or very giving head writer as well like uh going back to that franco documentary uh, you could see him helping bill Hader like tighten up a vinnie vedecci sketch that he was doing with john malkovich and you can see you know seth really giving good advice to bill and giving him notes and bill just kind of taking it all in uh, he was workshopping punchlines with keenan thompson for an update appearance keenan went on update during that episode as plaxico burris and you could see them hashing out punchlines and seth came up with a punchline I forget exactly what he said, but then Keenan said, well, what if we say, let's find a doctor who takes cash? And Seth's like, that's perfect. So he was just totally like, Keenan, you thought of the perfect punchline. It's better than what I had. Let's go with that. And you can tell that he just fostered that type of environment. Uh, You could see him uh, at the rewrite table, hashing out punchlines to to a Judy Bloom sketch that that John Malkovich was in. So it was just just a really neat peek into that process and just Seth as a boss. And from what Taryn said, I, it, it did come through in, in that brief little peek uh, into that, that week's episode, uh, that John Malkovich episode that James Franco followed around. I think Taryn, he can obviously speak on that given how close he worked with Seth, but you can really feel that. And he, I think it comes through uh, on the air too. I think it comes through in the tone of the show. I think there was a noticeable difference in the tone of the show from before Seth was the head writer to after he took over. I think there was a good balance between like clever humor and big characters. And I think we can thank Seth uh, definitely for a lot of that. So right now you're talking, Sammy, you're talking to SNL Hall of Fame voters right now. So what would you tell them is your strongest case as far as uh, including Seth Meyers uh, into the SNL Hall of Fame as a writer. Yeah, so you know, if you take a look at the entire history of the show, you know, we've always we've almost been on this journey with SNL for fifty years. So many casts have come and gone, but I think it's pretty universal that people look at that era between like two thousand six and two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen as one of the golden eras of the show and probably the best the show has been in in a long time at that point. And so the person that is 
obviously each individual cast member contributed to that, but the person behind the scenes that was bringing the best out of everybody was Seth Meyers. He fostered this environment that allowed for people to be creative and collaborate with each other and make people win, make, make everybody on the show win and kind of foster this environment that led to good comedy. And you think about all of the cast members and characters that came out from that era, you have to put Seth Meyers and get, or you have to give Seth Meyers his flowers for, you know, that time. And, you know, not only that, but you think about his time on update, one of the longest tenured update anchors. And, you know, that is the portion of the show that is very heavily tied to, to writing and being a head writer. So that is just another feather in his cap there. And even we, we didn't even get into the kind of political humor that he's continued to do on late night with Seth Meyers. But, you know, he is the, the person that was kind of behind a lot of the 2008 coverage. You know, he was the head writer at that time. And, you know, the Sarah Palin sketches at that time were huge. And, and I think that along with Lonely Island were things that were super viral on the show at that time and became super popular and kind of gave the show another life. And I think you have to give Seth Meyers the credit for, for all of that. And I think as a head writer on the show, he certainly deserves that spot in the Hall of Fame. Thank you so much, Thomas Senna and Sammy Kay. That was a lovely bit of discussion there between the two of you. I learned a lot, and I think you've really helped me solidify my stance and helped me, you know, sort of cement where I'm at with Seth Myers. Because if I look at my ballot, there's 31 names on it. I've got to choose up to 15. I'm going to choose the whole 15. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to use all 15 votes. And uh, you give me 15, I'm going to use 15, especially when there's 31 names on the, on the ballot. I've got about five or six locks. And then there's probably seven that are like I'm unsure of. They deserve it, but I'm, but I'm not 100% sure. So this really did a, a, a good thing for me in terms of helping me discover exactly why I should vote for Seth Meyers. So thank you very much. Let's listen to the submission of sketch that Sammy and Thomas have given us. In this case, it makes more sense to look at the body of work behind the update desk. And so what Thomas has done is uh, curated a, uh, uh, an update segment that you can all enjoy right now and further understand the mind of Seth Myers. Weekend update with Seth Myers. tonight's top stories. German sex educators plan to launch a spray-on condom. It's expected to sell much better than last year's iron-on condom. (laughs) 
O.J. Simpson's trial for kidnapping, armed robbery, and assault with a deadly weapon started Monday. Man, you know you've lived a crazy life when a trial for kidnapping, armed robbery, and assault isn't your most interesting trial. <laughs> a recent survey of 25 European countries revealed that Frenchmen have the longest penises with an average length of 15.48 centimeters. Luckily, that does not make me feel bad because I do not understand the metric system. <laughs> Tony Danza has begun work on a new A&E series in which he will spend a year teaching 10th grade English at a New York City school. The network is already preparing a spin-off series in which a group of students repeat 10th grade English. <laughs> Police in a small town in Texas spent 30 minutes recently chasing a loose goat. There's no video of the incident, but we did get a hold of an audio tape. this week that the cast of Glee will embark on a seven-day live concerts tour this spring, said your son who never got the hang of throwing a spiral. <laughs> Blockbuster video on Thursday filed for bankruptcy protection. Well, Blockbuster, seems our eight-year tug-of-war over tango and cash has reached its conclusion. High Times Magazine this week named Seth Rogen its stoner of the year for the second time, or as Rogen thinks of it, the first time. <laughs> a new study suggests that tiny fish used in a trendy new type of pedicure in which they feed on the dead skin on people's feet contain a type of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that spreads infections. Though on the bright side, that would kill all the right people. <laughs> According to poll data, President Obama's victory on Tuesday was due largely to his popularity with both college students and the unemployed. So basically, Obama became president the same way Budweiser became the king of beers. <laughs> A man in Hawaii who came face to face with a shark while surfing survived by punching the shark in the face. Meanwhile, I saw a cockroach in my bathroom and now I shower at the gym. <laughs> That was great. That was phenomenal. Just some really great joke writing there. And uh, the delivery certainly works for me as well. I want to thank Sammy Kay from the SNL Network for joining us this week. I, of course, want to thank our colleagues Thomas Senna and Matt Ardill for their hard work as well. It's been a pleasure. And we look forward to next week when we talk about Paul Rudd in the SNL Hall of Fame. So join us, won't you? We'll talk to you then. Until next time, as you're walking past the Weekend Update exhibit, would you do me a favor and turn out the lights? Because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week.
Libra. Podcasts and such.